Love them. They're the most unlovable person in the world. Love them. I hate them. I can't stand to be in the same room, same town, same county, same state as them, much less love them. Who is that for us? Is it a friend, neighbor, coworker, blood or marriage relative? One guy saw red, purple, and scarlet every time his mother-in-law was around. He despised her. One day he found a lamp and rubbed it, and poof, out popped a genie. The genie said, I'll grant you every wish, however, what you receive, your mother-in-law will receive double the portion. The guy didn't like that, but he decided to give it a try. A wish for a Cadillac. Zap, one caddy and two for his mother-in-law. The guy was really upset, but he was also greedy, so he tried again. One million dollars. Zap. Out pops one million dollars and two million for his mother-in-law. Then a twinkle came to his eye. He goes, I wish I was beat half to death. <laughs> Love, how can I? You just don't know the pain they've caused me. For some, it may even be your spouse. Oh, you were in love once, but then something happened. Um, remember the classic song written by Burke Bacharach? What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. We have mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. It's the only thing there's just too little of. Do you believe that? Probably so. But as someone has said so well, the world doesn't need phony love, or mushy love, or fickle love, or wimpy love, or conditional love, love that says, if you do this, then I'll love you. Or swap meet love that says, because you gave me this, I'll love you. No, what the world needs is true agape love. Unconditional. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> um, so, 1 Corinthians 13. And the Apostle Paul here was writing to the Corinthian church, which was a fellowship that was filled with envy and strife and jealousy. And he tells his readers that he can show them a more excellent way, the way of Jesus' unconditional love. And let's begin with verse 1 through 3. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away my, all my possessions and have hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. From, this, uh, from the 1 Corinthians passage, we see three truths. 
The first truth is that Jesus' love is essential. It's not optional. On no less than three occasions, Paul writes, but do not have love, but do not have love, but do not have love. If we have all these things, but do not have love, faith, the gift of prophecy, we gain nothing. Absolutely nothing. Take away love, that essential, foundational ingredient, and it is like a light bulb without electricity, or a kite without wind. Take away love, and we are left with a big, fat zero. There is nothing. Zip, nil, nada. Nothing. Simply put, if we perform all our Christian activities and duties, we go to Sunday school, worship, we pray, we go to Bible study, and if we have the most wonderful gifts of music, teaching, preaching, etc., but we do not have love, or love all people inside and out of the church, then we have nothing. We're left with absolutely nothing, just a big, fat zero. Jesus' love is essential, not optional. There's a good story to illustrate this. During World War II, there was an orphanage in Europe that had a nursery filled with babies. The room was sterile. The sheets were changed. Um, The nursery attendants changed and fed the babies regularly but they left one essential ingredient out. Perhaps out of lack of time or manpower, they never took the time to fondle, to cuddle, to love the babies the way a parent would. And over several months, these physically healthy babies started to die. Not because of a lack of physical needs, But from the lack of love, love is essential. It is not optional. So the question is, who are we withholding our love from? The second truth that Paul indicates in this passage is that Jesus' love is involved commitment, not lazy apathy. Notice in verse 4 through 8, verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Love is involvement, movement. Love is, love does. Love is not, love does not. Love doesn't sit back and take a snooze. You may say, hey, I love a lot of people. I don't hate anyone. Well, yeah, but you are, are you apathetic towards some others and treat others with cool indifference? Authentic love is demonstrable. It builds bridges. It reaches out and says, through good times and bad, through disagreements and arguments, I am committed to working. 
out our problems because I love you. That kind of commitment needs to be in our, all our relationships, especially in the church, in the body of Christ. You may recall what Paul wrote in the preceding chapter about the body of Christ. And let's look at chapter 12, verse 21 together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. Um, there was a man who every single Sunday, when, he, when the minister began to preach, would fall asleep. His wife, embarrassed, didn't know what to do about it. She tried everything. She would whisper in his ear. She would elbow him in the side. She just couldn't get him to wake up or not fall asleep. So she went to the pastor with this problem, and he came up with an ingenious plan. Go to the deli and buy a good, strong Limburger cheese. And when he falls asleep, put it under his nose. So she went out and bought it and wrapped it in tinfoil and stuck it in her purse. And that Sunday, the minister started to preach, and the husband started to fall asleep. So she pulled out the Limburger cheese and unwrapped it and put it a couple inches under his nose. And he just wiggled his nose. But he didn't do anything else. So she put the cheese right up under his nose. And all of a sudden, he shook really hard and cried out, Martha, Martha, get your onion breath out of here. Now, I mean, I don't like stinky breath as much as the next person. But in the body of Christ, there's a different type of B.O. It may be selfishness that we can see sometimes, or perhaps pride. But despite the revulsion sometimes we can get about seeing it in the church, we can't say, get your stinky self out of here. No, because we are the body of Christ. We are committed to one another, and we are involved with one another. We are to love like Jesus, and Jesus' love is involved commitment, not lazy apathy. And it is essential, not optional. The third truth is that Jesus' love is a mature choice, not based on immature subjective feelings. Let's look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became adult, I put an end to childish things. Immature love is based on subjective feelings. Mature love is based on choice and willful decision. You know, if you ask the typical person in the United States, adult or teenager, what they think love is, nine times out of ten, they'll say they'll describe love as a feeling. A typical teenage girl may say something like the following, and I know I've had this conversation. I've worked with teenagers. I'm in love with Rick. Oh, really? Tell me, how do you know? Well, because I feel it. There are butterflies in my stomach whenever I'm around him. I see, and how long have you known Rick? Three days. (laughs) And tomorrow I'm going to say hi to him. 
Yes. Don't worry, ladies, you aren't the only gender to suffer. One teenage boy asked what love is, and he responded by saying, Love is a feeling that you feel when you feel that you're going to get a feeling that you've never felt before. Now, I'm not knocking romantic love because um, it can lead to a committed love. But um, there's something I've learned about talking to married couples. Because I'm not married yet, so I actually don't know. But I'm learning from you guys. So, and I'm, and I'm sure every married couple here can relate. And it is that romantic feelings come and go. Why? Because feelings are fickle. It doesn't mean you don't love your spouse. It just means that sometimes you don't feel in love. Um, and that's why rela- relationships built on feeling, um, instead of choice, often fail. <clears throat> Does anyone here have a hard time loving their spouse, child, sibling, parent? Maybe it's that person in church who just rubs you the wrong way. Then choose to say, Lord, I don't feel any love for them, but with your love, I choose to love them. And you know, when you do this, don't be surprised that when you, you make that uh, choice and action to choose to love, it will change your feelings. Feelings of love always follow the choice to love. This is a true story that illustrates so well how choosing to love changes one's feelings. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred against her husband. I do not only want to get rid of him, she said. I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. So Dr. Crane suggested a plan. Go home and act as if you love him. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him. For every decent trait, go out of your way to be kind, considerate, generous. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, drop the bomb. Tell him you want a divorce. That will really hurt him. And with revenge in her eyes, she said, beautiful, this will really get him. And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if, for two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. When she didn't return, Crane called her. So are you ready to go through the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered I I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion, and the ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often as repeated deeds. Let us pray.